You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. Human beings have an inner sense of right and wrong. We call this morality. And some suppose that the existence of morality is a good argument for the existence of God. Torturing babies is not only wrong, it is absolutely wrong. Does this mean that morality itself is absolute? And if absolute, would God be needed to make it so? Even theologians are perplexed by God and morality. As for me, I've never liked arguing from morality to God. Have I been wrong? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. Does morality guide us to God? Traditional Christian theology says it does. I'll hear the argument from J.P. Moreland, a Christian philosopher at Biola University in Los Angeles. J.P., one of the arguments that people use for the existence of God is the existence of morality. Do you agree with that? I do. There are several features of morality that are best explained if there is a personal God that is the origin of morality. For one thing, uh, you can't explain how moral laws get created or are a part of this universe without a moral lawgiver. Uh, moral laws aren't just abstract platonic forms floating around in Plato's heaven. Uh, they come to us in the form of commands or imperatives, and we experience objective guilt and shame in their presence. Uh, guilt and shame are not directed toward abstract ideas. They're directed toward persons. And so the most reasonable explanation of the fact that there is objective guilt and shame that people feel, and that the moral order comes to us in the form of imperatives and not suggestions, is that there is a willer or a personal being behind them. I think in addition to that, the fact that we can actually know morality cannot be explained through evolutionary naturalism. Because if there are moral values, they're not physical objects, they're immaterial entities. And an evolutionist and a naturalist can explain how the brain evolved from matter and how we can engage in causal interactions with trees and mountains and predators. But it can't explain how the mind is of such a nature that it can grasp unseen and immaterial entities. So that if there are moral laws and moral values, these are clearly not physical properties or physical objects. The third reason why I think morality provides evidence for God is equal human rights. My daughter came home from sixth grade one day with a little Martin Luther King flyer 
that said all people ought to be treated equally. And I said, do you believe that? And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, how come? And she said, well, because of God trying to get rid of me so she could go out and play. And I said, look at a coffee table. There's a piece of paper that I forgot to throw away yesterday, a piece of trash. And behind the sofa, there's a very expensive painting. If the house were burning down, do you think you ought to try to save one of those or would it not matter? Well, Dad, I ought to save the painting. Why? It's worth more than that piece of paper. I said, fair enough. What if it was between the piece of paper and our pet dog, Casey? Well, Dad, I had to save Casey, not the piece of paper. Why? Casey's precious. What about your sister and the piece of paper? Well, with a little cajoling, she said, I'd save my sister. So we learned then that equals ought to be treated equally and unequals ought to be treated unequally. It would be wrong to treat the piece of paper and your sister or our pet dog as though they were the same in value when they're not. Now, if God doesn't exist, there's nothing we have in common that's equal. And here's the point. If there are going to be equal rights for everyone, that idea only makes sense if there, is a, if there is a God who made us in His image. Because we do not have anything in common that's equal that matters. There are smart, they're dumb, they're good-looking, ugly, socially useless, socially useful people. And you can't say we're all human beings because being a human being in a godless world is merely a certain arrangement of the tinker toys. The only thing that makes a human being different than a dog is the structure of its DNA. The argument you're giving here assumes that all people are equal as your primary axiom and then argues for God because That's right. of that. I think it's self-evident that human beings are equal just because they're human. And once they come to understand that idea, but if it's self-evident, why do you need God? Well, it's one thing to say that a truth is self-evident. It's another to explain how there could be such a truth. So you want to distinguish between knowing that it's true versus explaining what made it true. Those are different questions. I happen to like J.P.'s analysis. So why am I not convinced by his conclusion that the existence of morality leads to the existence of God? I put the question to Richard Swinburne, emeritus professor at Oxford, whose arguments for the existence of God are legendary. Is morality among his arguments? Richard, the existence of morality and the human experience of moral awareness are both used to show the existence of God. You distinguish between these two. Yes, um, all of us really think that there are moral truths. We may disagree about what they are, but we do think. But there is a general agreement uh, when people aren't doing philosophy and people are arguing about practical matters that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, morally right, morally wrong. Right. Uh, so that's where we start from. And it's more evident that some of these things are morally right and wrong than that any particular theory of physics is true. Okay, say that on such and such an occasion, uh, Hitler was wrong to exterminate the Jews. Okay, and that is true of our world. Now, there couldn't be another world which is identical with our world in all the physical respects, but in which Hitler wasn't wrong to exterminate the Jews. Now, there couldn't therefore be two possible worlds, each identical in all their physical respects, but in world one, an action of a certain kind is right, and in world two, it's wrong. Now, what that shows is that there must be necessary truths of morality. That is to say, 
exterminating people of a certain kind uh, must be, it must be a necessary truth that it's wrong. And if we have necessary moral truths, what does that imply about God? Well, it implies if they're necessary truths, they hold whatever else is the case. And therefore, you can't argue from them to the existence of God, because an argument to the existence of God involves pointing to some phenomenon which is such that you would expect if there is a God, and you wouldn't expect if there isn't a God. But this you would expect whatever is the case, so it doesn't produce any particular... So you do not use, then, the existence of absolute necessary moral truths to increase the probability of God's existence. No, I don't. The ultimate truths of morality do not depend on God and therefore cannot be used as an argument for his existence. To Richard, morality is absolute and necessary. It cannot be otherwise. Its ultimate truths holding under all possible conditions and in all possible worlds which undercuts morality's power to argue for God. Because even if there were no God, morality would still exist. Yet many people assume morality leads directly to God. I should understand the emotion as well as the logic. Francis Collins is director of the National Human Genome Research Institute, a rare elite scientist who believes, confidently and overtly, and on the basis of morality, in a personal God. I meet Francis at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. I've read your book, The Language of God, and I was somewhat surprised to see that you as a scientist focused on the moral law as a critical part of your understanding of God. I'd love to hear you tell me why. When I was an atheist, after getting a PhD in quantum mechanics and then going off to medical school following that, it was this encountering of the argument about the moral law that really knocked me for a loop. I had never really thought about it before, and in the opening pages of C.S. Lewis's book, Beer Christianity, uh, he gets into this argument, which for me was totally new and absolutely astounding. I actually think not that many people who've not had this pointed out to them are aware of just how powerful a role this law plays in our daily life. This is our knowledge of good and evil. It is a characteristic of all human cultures. It is clearly applied in different ways by different cultures who decide what's good and what's evil, but nobody disagrees that there is such a thing as good and evil and that we are called to do what is good. This is puzzling. We may see certain rudimentary evidences of it in other species, but it really only seems to appear in full-blown form in ourselves. For me, this is a significant argument in favor of not just the existence of God, but a God who cares about individuals, who calls us to adhere to these principles of what is right and wrong. Now, could this all be a purely biological explanation? Is this necessarily something spiritual? And arguments are raging right now about this. And certainly sociobiologists or evolutionary psychologists uh, would say that you can put this whole thing together as a Darwinian phenomenon. 
I have trouble with that. I can see how it would in certain instances lead you in the direction of altruistic behavior, for instance. But when I think about the people we ad admire most, Mother Teresa, for instance, or Oscar Schindler, or, or, or William Wilberforce, uh, people who put their own professions, in some instances their own lives, on the line in a way that was clearly not going to help them propagate their DNA. And yet, we admire that. We see that as the ultimate in the nobility that humankind can demonstrate. What is that all about? So it's the existence, but not the expression of the good, that is the explanatory power for God. Absolutely. I think the law itself is absolute. I think it is pure truth. But that law and its truth gets poured into rusty containers called human beings. And you look upon this as one of the most powerful evidential um, factors in your belief system. When I encountered that from a purely materialist perspective, it knocked me for a loop. It knocks me for a loop All today. the quantum mechanics out the window. <laughs> out the window. They don't help me with this one. And, you know, it is an appealing kind of realization when you were trying to imagine, okay, if God is out there, if God cares about me, but he hasn't given me proof, what kind of hint would he give? Well, what do you know? It's exactly the kind of hint you might have imagined, not only something that you can't explain by material uh, explanations, but also something that seems to point towards something good and holy, which tells you not only that God cares about us, but something about God's character. What an amazing revelation. Agree with him or not, Francis is clear. Morality points to God, and he needs no technical analysis to make his case. I need someone who does not believe in God. Michael Tooley is an English philosopher at the University of Colorado. As an atheist, he's ready to explain morality. Michael, I have been shocked by the vigor of the argument from the moral law as an inference to the existence of God. But I really respect some of the people who are trying to convince me. Help me to go one way or the other here. Well, I mean, it is surprising how much weight is being put upon the argument today. Uh, the reason it's surprising is that something very close to refutation was put forward a long time ago by Plato uh, in his dialogue, The Euthyphro. Uh, Socrates is concerned with the nature of holiness or piety, right? And at some point he asks a question to the effect, uh, are holy things holy because they are loved by the gods? Or on the contrary, are they loved by the gods because they are holy, right? And you, know, you can ask the same question vis-a-vis -vis the god of monotheism and the guard to goodness, badness, rightness, and wrongness, right? And you can ask, you know, is an action wrong, for example, uh, because God forbids it or prohibits it, right? Or on the contrary, does God forbid it or prohibit it because it's wrong, right? Now, if you consider those two answers, right, if you adopt the second answer, that is that God forbids something because it's wrong, then there must be, so to speak, objective moral standards. Independent, independent. of God. or That's right. And so the other option is that uh, it's God's forbidding something that makes an action wrong, right? That means that God could forbid or could command very different things, right? He could uh, command people to, you know, inflict pain upon innocent individuals and so on. He could command people to kill, et cetera, individuals, right? And on this theory, sometimes referred to as divine command theory of morality, right? If God commanded those things, 
then those things would be morally obligatory. We ought to torture people, we ought to kill people, right? Most philosophers, including religious philosophers, think that that's an incredible sort of conclusion. And so uh, the divine command theory is, is widely uh, rejected, right? And so that's one powerful argument that there need to be objective moral standards and God, if he is good, will then, so to speak, issue commands and so to speak, in accordance with those standards. But how, how is that objective standard being set if it's not for this supernatural God? Is it up to human beings to set that standard? Well, here's a comparison. I mean, uh, God has to obey the laws of logic, okay, right? That's a, a strong must, okay? Uh, and similarly, the laws of mathematics. I mean, God can't make the case that one plus one plus one equals one, okay? Cannot make three equal to one, right? The thing is, logical truths and mathematical truths are necessary truths, right? I think it's very reasonable to think that moral truths are also necessary truths, right? Uh, and the idea is that if something is a moral truth, it's not just a moral truth in this world, but in all possible worlds, right? And therefore, morality in that sense has an independent existence, not dependent upon some supernatural power uh, imposing it. And therefore, is your argument, the moral law then is devoid of any power to imply the existence of God? Yes, I mean, there are these two arguments. There's the Euthyphro argument, and then there's the second argument, which we've gotten into, and that maintains that basic moral truths are necessary, right, and uh, hold in all possible worlds. But on the other hand, the claim is the existence of an omnipotent, omniscient, and morally perfect being uh, is not something that obtains in all possible worlds. I mean, that is that atheism could be true, is the, the weak claim here, right? But if that's right, if, if there is a possible world where atheism is true, and yet, if moral truths hold in all possible worlds, then it follows logically that moral truths cannot be logically dependent upon uh, the existence of God. To Michael, no matter how one frames the morality argument, whether morality is objective or relative, the existence of God just does not follow. I need more of this. I go to my favorite skeptic, Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine. We meet on Mount Wilson, high above Los Angeles. Can you have a rich, real morality without having God in the background? Uh, not only can you, uh, pe people do and even more so if there is no God. I mean, if there's a God, there's lots of reasons to be moral, but if there is no God, there's even more reasons to be moral because if this is all there is and we are all th that there is to, to be moral, then how much more important it is that we be kind to one another, that we try to do the right thing, that we try to avoid doing the wrong thing, that we try to get along. The problem comes is that how do you define each of those categories? What, what, what is the right thing? and different people will have sometimes diametrically opposite points of view. The independent standard outside of you and I personally as individuals or us as Americans or whatever is um, human nature. That evolution designed us to be moral and immoral, by the way. Um, that as a social primate species, we evolved the capacity for cooperation altruism, pro-social behavior within our group because our group would, you and I would benefit individually and the group as a whole would benefit as a group compared to other groups if we are moral. 
Unfortunately, evolution also gave us a dark side. That is, we are very combative and xenophobic about other groups. So we have those two sides. I think that is independent of you and I. It's part of our nature. It's, as, it's about as objective and outside of us individually as you can get without calling it absolute morality. But it's not a relatively moral position. Well, here's the problem I would have. You have two groups and you have some competition for a food supply and without an independent moral standard that would tell them to work together or whatever it would be, that it would be for the morality of the in-group to take care of their own children, to kill the other group so that their children can survive with this food. Yeah, absolutely. And and interjecting religion into this doesn't help us at all. Historically, that's exactly what happens. Look what's happening now between the Arabs and Israelis. You got two guys with a deed to the same piece of land, both willing to die and kill for it. Obviously, believing in God doesn't help that at all. So I don't think belief in God helps us. In fact, in, in that instance, it hurts. I think a higher moral principle is to look at the reality of our human nature as I've just described it and say, okay, here's our goal, to get as many people as we can into the in-group. To Michael, morality is no mystery. The whole answer is evolution. Survival of the fittest selected behaviors which we interpret as moral. God is irrelevant. Not to Richard Swinburne, to whom I must now return. Earlier, Richard explained how the absolute existence of morality cannot be used to argue for God. But what about the human awareness of morality? That can be used as an argument and is, I think, uh, an argument of moderate strength for the existence of God because although there are eternal moral truths, there's no particular reason why we should be aware of them if there is no God. Uh, after all, tigers and uh, lions and bears and dogs are not aware of moral truths. Uh, but we are aware of moral truths. This is the sort of thing one would expect if God had created people like us, because the point of creating people like us is to have choices between good and evil, and this means that we need to have uh, a moral sense in order to do so. So creating creatures with a moral sense is uh, the sort of thing one would expect God to do. Um, and uh, therefore there's reason to expect that creatures with our sort of mental capacities would have a moral sense if there is a God, but no, no particular reason if there isn't, so it's an argument for the existence of God. Without denying that assertion, there are what would be called more naturalistic explanations of this human morality based on evolutionary psychology. Well, you're familiar with that argument. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, it's, uh, one mustn't confuse altruism with having moral beliefs. Uh, it, one might act uh, sort of naturally and spontaneously for the benefit of the group without having any moral awareness that it's one's obligation to do so. Having moral awareness be means being able to distinguish between what one naturally desires to do and what one thinks good or one ought to do. And for the survival of a species, it's not necessary to have moral beliefs, though it might be necessary to have altruistic actions, so these are different things. 
But evolution by natural selection can't explain anything. It can only explain why certain things are eliminated, not why they're thrown up in the first place. Well, if you have a large number of possibilities... Yes, uh, but you only have a finite number of possibilities, and evolution's only been going a certain time, and the only number of things it can throw up are the things which are allowed by the chemistry of, of the genes, and there are many things which are not allowed by the chemistry of the genes. So, as I gave in the argument, um, there, there's no reason to suppose that genes would throw up any beliefs or purposes at all. These are quite different things. But if God has so arranged that genes should throw up a mental life, he could also arrange that genes should throw up a life which includes moral beliefs. But there's no reason to suppose that without that, our genes should be of such a type as to throw up people with moral sensitivities. God has different places to enter the process. Indeed, he may enter the process at the end, or he may have arranged the thing at the beginning, and he has reason he can do either. But if there, there is no God, there's no reason to suppose this would be part of the process. Whether morality is relative or absolute is debatable. Either way, I do not find it a compelling argument for God. If morality is relative, then it is wholly human, evolutionary in origin, and devoid of the divine. God is unneeded. If morality is absolute, then logically it cannot lead to God, because being absolute means that morality would exist on its own, necessarily, without contingency or cause, in all possible worlds, thus not needing a God to have created it. The only way to move from morality to God would be to suppose that God created humans with moral awareness. But this argument seems blunted, if not refuted, by evolution, by similar kinds of animal behaviors, which facilitate species survival and appear as if moral. Morality, I conclude, is important but not so for proving God. And that's the closest you'll get to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and God, visit our website, closertotruth.com.